I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. I loved it there until my 29th birthday. I was married. We had just had our second child. My husband um, had reached an early demise unexpectedly. After that, I felt as though Baltimore was not for me anymore. I went to Google and it said, you know, one of the best places to live were North Carolina. And so I packed up my kids and we moved to North Carolina September 2012. When I first got here, I was scared. I didn't have family, I didn't have friends, I was alone. I had given this situation to God. I felt as though he had led me here, but for what reason, what purpose? You know, what was going on in my life at that time, mourning the death of a husband and having a newborn, basically? Um, it was just overwhelming. Upon my relocation, I lived around the corner, and usually the church would be packed from the cars coming. I'm wondering what is going on at that building right there. So when I came to see what it was about, it was around the Christmas holiday. Somebody had approached me and asked me, you know, the kids can come to Kid City while you enjoy the message. And they didn't know that I had a background or what I had experienced, that I was too scared to let my kids go out of my sight. But they reassured me, they comforted me. It was a volunteer. I was apprehensive, but I eventually let them go. And they were okay, and she came back throughout the service to let me know that we have your kids and they're fine. And I could have just cried. I think I did cry because I had a burden on me so heavy and I was so tightly knit with my kids. And that one relief to know that they were okay while I just have a moment with God, it, it, it spoke to my heart, it just, relieved me. Well, welcome to Hope. We're so glad you're here with us. And a special shout out to everyone at all of our campuses that are watching this weekend. That may have felt like kind of a weird ending to Charbel's story. And, and it is because that's actually not the end of her story. We're going to do something a little different today. And we're actually going to come back a little later in the message um, to hear a little bit more of, of her story as we go. But I think that's the very first time ever that the, the, crea the chaos and the craziness of our parking lots and what we do on the streets has actually helped us reach people. So that's kind of that's kind of cool. That doesn't normally, normally happen. So uh, I've got a, a good friend uh, named Doug, and uh, Doug is, uh, he's, I've worked with Doug. He's been a, a mentor of mine uh, for, for years. Our families have done life together. Doug's a little bit older than I am, and so I was, uh, I was born in the 70s. He kind of grew up in the 70s, and so a little bit in front of us. But the one thing that Doug and I both have in common is that in high school, we both had really bad acne, and that was just kind of a, a fact that we dealt with. And, and back then, right, back in the 70s and, and stuff, like you had to be, you only went to a dermatologist if you were rich, right? Only rich people got to go to the dermatologist. And so we, we didn't have that luxury and we didn't have all of the products that are available to us today either. That stuff wasn't there. Uh, in fact, I think it was the end of high school when I finally went on uh, Accutane and I think I might've been like one of the first people to ever use it. And so we didn't know like years later, I think there's a bunch of side effects to it. My face cleared up, but my hair fell out, right? So we just, you just don't know what those things are, you know, like trade off. And we didn't have all of that stuff. We we didn't have proactive, right, with all the celebrity endorsements. That wasn't around. We didn't have magic dirt that you rub on your face. Or, or I don't know if you've seen the, um, the glow-in-the-dark, like, Jason mask that, that some people wear. It's, like, like radioactively, like, removes your acne. I, I'm not sure it's good for you, but, uh, but yeah, there's people that, that do that. We didn't have any of those things, right? Dr. Pimple Popper was not a thing. And if you don't know who that is or what that is, 
If you don't want to sleep for a week, feel free to Google it. But it's exactly what you think it might be times a million disturbing moments, right? Like it's just, it's ridiculous. And so we didn't have that. We had Oxy-5 and a belt sander, right? Like that's all we had available to us. And so I remember when my, du- my friend Doug, he, uh, he decided that he was going to, he was going to kind of take things into his own hand. And, and he tells the story of, of when he tried to fix his own acne. Now he had heard that the rich people, when they go to the dermatologist, what they, what they actually provide for them, what they do is they put them under a sun lamp. And so he went down to the local um, neighborhood store and, and he bought uh, a sun lamp for like $2.99 and, and he came home and he set it up on top of his television. And in his mind, right, he thought, hey, I'm gonna, just going to watch TV for a couple hours. I'm going to let the sun lamp do its thing. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to have any acne, right? This is a fantastic uh, plan. At least in, in theory, it was a great plan. Problem is this, Doug woke up at two in the morning with some problems, right? Some issues. The lamp had been on the entire time. He fell asleep and as a result, he was now actually blind. And so he like got up and, and he, he couldn't see anything. And so he found the, the light switch. He turned all the lights off. And when the lights went off, he was able to open his eyes back up and he was able to, to see a little bit. And so it was at that point that he thought, well, maybe I'm just dreaming, right? You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you need to go to the bathroom and you kick the door frame and you're like, that really should hurt, right? But I, I think I'm just dreaming. And then you wake up in the morning and two of your toes are like sticking out sideways and you're like, oh, that that wasn't a dream. That that really happened. It was one of those moments. And so he thought if I flip the lights back on, it will wake me up and, and all of this will disappear. And so he flipped the lights back on and immediately like he is blinded and his, his eyes shut, right? And he begins to panic at this moment. And so he runs down the, stumbles down the hallway, right? To his parents' bedroom and, and he busts in and he wakes them up and he says, I can't see, I can't see. And his parents do what any normal parent would do at that moment. They, they flick the lights on, right? At which point his eyes shut and he's like, I can't see, I can't see. And they're, they're wondering if he's like on drugs, right? At that point. And they're like, well, open your eyes. And he's like, I can't, I can't open my eyes. Now, to take a long story and make it medium length, um, they took Doug to the hospital or to the doctor that next day, and, uh, and what it turns out is that Doug had actually burned his retinas. He had fried them, like, kind of like staring at the sun during an eclipse kind of deal, and so for five days, he was blind. They put all kinds of ointments and creams and these big patches on his eyes so that he was protected from any form of light to allow his eyes to begin to, to heal and kind of come back to normal. Best part of the story is that um, Doug's mom decided that Doug should still go to school even in this condition. And so she took him to school the next day and, uh, and as she dropped him off, she found his friends and she said, now boys, Dougie's gone a little blind and I'm gonna need you to help him find his way around school, right? These are high school teenagers at which point they're like, absolutely, Mrs. Fields, we would love to help little Dougie, out, right? And so he's like, mom, don't do it. He dropped, she dropped them off. He, they walked him over to the bike rack and left him there for the the entire day, right? That's where Doug spent his day. Now, here's the deal. I don't know if you've ever been blind. Uh, probably not, right? I think for most of us in this room that we can say that we've never been blind. We've never experienced that. But there are different times, right, where maybe you've experienced some form of, of temporary blindness. A, a flashlight has been shone in your eyes or as you're driving on a, on a rainy night, right, and traffic is coming towards you and, and you really kind of can't see what happens in those moments. In those moments, right, you're not thinking about all of the things that are happening all around you. In fact, you miss all kinds of things that are happening at the same time all around you. See, all of us, all of us at different points in our lives, right, we've experienced this blindness when it comes to meeting the needs of others. 
It's not that we don't know they're there. We know that there are people all around us that have needs. The problem is, is that we have become too busy. Or maybe we're just too callous. Or, or maybe we've just become too selfish, right? To meet the needs of those people. Maybe it's a, a friend. And you know that there's something going on in their home, right? You know their parents have been fighting. Maybe it's led to a separation. Maybe it's led to a divorce. And as a result of it, now they're torn. They live in two different homes with two different families and the, the stresses and the, the, the struggles that come with that. Maybe it's someone that you know that, that based on circumstances, they're now parenting by themselves. Maybe someone that you know that is struggling financially. Right, and all of their dreams and, and even the lifestyle that they've lived for many, many years all of a sudden has, has been drastically and, and radically changed for them. Maybe it's someone who didn't make the team, someone who didn't get the job or didn't get the promotion, someone who was in a relationship and they didn't want it to end, but the other person decided that it was time to end the relationship. Maybe you know someone who's struggling with loneliness. That no matter how many people there are around them, they just don't feel like they're connected to anybody. Maybe we become blind to some friends or family members or, or people we know. Maybe we become blind to their habits, habits and things that they're doing in their life, right, that we know that as a result of those things, they're actually hurting themselves. They're destroying themselves. But maybe we've just become tired of it. Maybe we just don't know how to help. Maybe it's an eating disorder or an alcohol or, or drug addiction. Maybe it's a pornography addiction. Maybe they're popping stimulants so they can stay up at night. Maybe it's a, an unhealthy addiction to exercise or maybe to the lack of. Maybe we become blind to people around us and, and their hangups. People that always need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Right? They, they just can't ever stand to be alone. And the problem is, is that when they get in these relationships, they become different. Right? They don't act like they normally do. And they seclude themselves and cut themselves off from the people around them that love them. Maybe it's friends who are lacking confidence and security, which causes them to, to do whatever it takes to fit in. They become people pleasers, right? As long as people like me, as long as people seem to accept me, then, then I feel like I'm part of a crowd. Maybe it's friends that are caught in a, in a comparison trap. That they become more concerned with what others have or what others think than what God says is true about who they really are. See, the truth is that we all have needs in our lives. Every single one of us has needs. The other part of that truth is this, is that we all know people in our lives that are hurting, that are broken, that have these needs, and we have become blind to those things. I was reading a couple weeks ago in uh, Pastor Mike's book, and if you didn't realize or, or didn't know that, um, our pastor has released a book, a, a brand new book. It is fantastic, uh, and I would encourage you to, to pick it up. Um, it's, uh, it's really, it's called You Can't, God Can, and it's really about Mike and Laura's story at the beginning. It's about Hope's story. It, it's, a, it's an encouraging and challenging book that really helps you get your faith to grow and trusting a, a really big God and how we can't do things on our own, but how God can do incredible things in our lives. He's, he's way too humble to tell you how great it is, but I have no problem telling you that it is a, it's a fantastic book. And in fact, we have it available at all of our campuses this weekend. Um, you can pick up a copy immediately after service. Well, this series, right, this series isn't based on the book. This is not what the book is, is about. But I did actually kind of steal the, his premise for the book, and I built this series around it. I had his permission to do it, but I, I kind of stole it from there. And, and in Mike's book, he talks about the things in our lives that we tend to pursue, right, that we're all pursuing things. Maybe it's the, the dream car. Maybe it's the dream house or, or the dream vacation, the dream relationship. 
And we know that it's real easy for us to get caught up in those things. They become consuming in our lives. And even if we get to experience some of those things, they only last for a short period of time. Right, all of a sudden the dream vacation, when we get the visa bill the, the next month, all of a sudden we're like, oh, maybe it wasn't such a great dream. It's feeling more like a nightmare, right, at, at this moment. Or maybe it's that new car, right, the dream car that you've washed every single day since you bought it, and then it gets the first dent. And all of a sudden it doesn't feel so good anymore. The dream house, right, the, the whatever it is, something new, something bigger, something better comes along. And now we're in this place where it constantly feels like we just keep chasing that other thing, never satisfied, never feeling truly fulfilled or, or significant with it. Let me ask you this question. What if there was something that we were created for that would never lose that sense of wow in our lives, that would never, that would never cause us to get bored, that we would never have to chase after those other things? Here's a quote from Mike's book. He said this, there is no greater joy in life than realizing that God has used you to impact his kingdom by changing another's spiritual destiny. Nothing else comes close. So you're gonna have a lot of great experiences in your life. But the greatest experience, the greatest experiences you will have is when God uses you to impact the life of someone else. So, but here's the problem. The problem is, is that we've all become blind to the needs of people all around us. And so what if the source of our greatest joy was all around us every single day, we're just maybe missing it. How do you respond to the needs of people around you? See, that's what we're gonna talk about in this series for the next few weeks. We're gonna talk about how we can stop focusing on ourselves and begin to focus a little bit more on others, how we can become selfless and begin to discover the joy that we find when God uses us to impact the life of someone else. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. That's what we're going to be uh, looking at today. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. You can follow along on the side screens or you can download our app as well where we have all of the verses and the notes and uh, you can send those to yourself afterwards. Now let me give you a little bit of background while some of you are, are turning to uh, Luke chapter 10. The author of, of this letter is a guy by the name of Luke and Luke is a, a doctor. Now we know that Luke isn't one of the 12 disciples. He's not one of Jesus' 12 closest friends. In fact, to our knowledge, he never met Jesus personally. But he writes this letter, and he actually writes it to a guy named Theophilus. And, and in this, he, he writes and tells him why he's writing this letter. And he said this, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of every truth and everything that you were taught. He says, I've looked around, right? And, and, and there are people, they, they have carefully researched this. All of this has been verified by eyewitness account. And I want to tell you that the Jesus that you're believing in is absolutely real. And what he has done for us is true. And so let me write you these letters of the accounts of the life of Jesus. And so Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, it, it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Now, Jesus was teaching in, in this crowd, right, when this lawyer kind of steps up and, and asks him this question. And this isn't like the lawyers that we see on TV, right? Not that kind. This was an expert in the law of Moses, probably a Pharisee, some kind of religious leader. And it says that he was trying to test Jesus. I wonder, though. I wonder if secretly, right, secretly he wasn't trying to, to search for significance in his life. I wonder if he was looking for, for more than just eternal life, that he was trying to seek out from Jesus what it meant to have a relationship with him. And so verse 26, here's what Jesus says. What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, he turns to him and he says, you're a lawyer, right? You're an educated man. You know the law. So, so tell me, what's the most important law? And he answered, you love God and love others. Right? Love, love your neighbor as, as yourself. This was the, the law that, that every Jew repeated every single morning since they were kids. Verse 28, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? See, now the lawyer is beginning to act a little bit more like a lawyer, right? He's looking for, for justification for the way that he's been living. It's like, Jesus, if, if my neighbor is, is truly just my neighbors, right, the people on either side of me, well, I think I, I've done pretty good, right? I mean, I've got a good relationship with them. I, I, I've lent my ladder to the guy over here on the, on the left, right? And I see him when we take the trash out. I, I make small talk with him. And the guy on the right, he doesn't talk so much, right? He just kind of comes home and puts the garage door up and his camel goes in and door, door back down. But I'm respecting his privacy, right? I've got good relationships there, so I think I'm doing well. And there's that guy at the gym, right? I like to work out with that guy. We say hi to each other. Sometimes we, we share equipment, right? Spot each other. Like, I, I think it's good there. I'm tight with a couple guys at work. We go out for lunch a couple days a week and, and kind of talk about life and talk about work stuff. So, yeah, I think I'm doing a good job with this whole neighbor thing. But then he makes one critical mistake. He asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, how, how do you define a neighbor? And so Jesus answers him in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, it sounds like the beginning, it almost sounds like a joke, right? A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar, right? Like, and, I, and I wonder if Jesus has a little smirk on his face when he, when he shares this, but let's, let's unpack the story just a little bit. Jesus tells the story of this guy who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, it's about a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jerusalem is in the mountains. Jericho is down below about a 3,000-foot um, descent as they're going down to this place. 
the road that they had to travel on, only one road, notoriously known for how dangerous it is. Because there are all kinds of areas as they're going where you're traveling and going through curves that are going through these rocky areas. All kinds of places for thieves and people that would hide and jump out and attack those who were passing by. It's kind of maybe like the feeling of a dark alley in a major city or, or, or being trapped in a subway, right? With someone shady and not knowing, not knowing the best way out. And so on his way, he's robbed of everything, including his clothing, and he is left within an inch of his life. And then Jesus introduces three characters. The first is a priest. Now, a priest's job, right, back in Jesus' day was to perform sacrifices for the Jewish people in the temple. He was the go-between between the people and God who were wanting forgiveness of their sins based on the Old Testament laws. And so he understood people's brokenness, right? He understood the needs that people had all around him because he dealt with it every single day. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe that was the problem for him. Maybe because he saw so much hurt. Maybe because he saw so much pain. Maybe because he saw so many lives torn apart. Maybe because he heard so many different reasons and so many different excuses. I didn't mean to do it. I never woke up in the morning and set out to do this, but now this is a part of my life and I need forgiveness. Here's my offering. I never imagined that it would get this far. Right? When I started, I thought I was in control. I thought I could stop it at any point, but, but now it's taking control of my life. Here's, here's my offering for forgiveness. If you've met my mother-in-law, right, you'd understand why I did the things that, that I did. Right? It's, it's not my fault. Right? Here's, here's my offering. All kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses. And he's become blind to the needs of others. Now it says that he's coming down the road, which means that he's done work for the day, right? He was, he was heading back home. He clearly sees this man and his needs. And it's so obvious that he should stop, that he should show love and compassion to this man. But for whatever reason, this, this priest decides that he doesn't want to get dirty that day, that he doesn't have time for this. I'm, I'm off the clock. I deal with people's messes all day long. This is, this is for somebody else to deal with. And so he crosses to the other side of the street. And he ignores an opportunity to make a difference. Second character is a Levite. A Levite's job is to help the priests, right? They did the work of kind of the elders, the, the custodians, the, the assistants. Uh, sometimes they were musicians. Sometimes they were movers, right? Sometimes they were the repairmen. Basically, they were like the, the student ministry pastors of the whole religious system back in the day. They were, they were the guy in your small group with a pickup truck that you call. You're like, dude, I need to move a couch. Can you come over and, and help me do that? And so he does exactly what the priest did. He saw him. Zero chance that he didn't notice this man laying in the street. His job, his job is to be a, a helper, right? To help people get things done to bring honor and, and glory to God. But same thing. He's done work for the day. And I, and I don't know what his reason is. Maybe his back was sore from carrying firewood back and forth to the altar, back and forth, back and forth all day so that people could make sacrifices. Maybe his hands were sore from playing guitar all day, le leading worship during, during the services. Maybe it was just that he spent all day cleaning up other people's messes. And he just didn't want to do it. He's done. And so he also passes by on the other side of the street, doesn't show any compassion, doesn't show any care, blind to the needs of the man right in front of him. And he too ignores an opportunity to discover significance in his life. See, for these guys, unfortunately, the word love, it didn't require action for them. 
Jesus has this conversation with this lawyer, right? And, and this lawyer answered him the truth of, of how you have eternal life. If you want to discover true significance, the way that God created you, the answer is very, very clear. Jesus said it in verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. See, all of the Jewish people knew this when they were kids. And so the priests and the Levite, they knew exactly what God expected from them. They knew exactly what God would want them to do. But they didn't see the injured man as an opportunity. Instead, they saw him as, a, as an inconvenience. That forced them to cross the street and to avoid contact with him. Let me ask you this question. When you come up with someone, come up on someone who's in need, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, a coworker, a student in class with you, maybe it truly is a neighbor that lives on, on either side of you or, or on your street. Maybe it's the guy when you pull off the highway that's on the ramp with the sign at the top of it that has, has needs. Maybe it's a person in your small group that's really just going through a hard time right now. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's a, a health concern. Maybe it's a job thing. Maybe it's a relationship thing. How do you see them? How do you respond to those people in your life and those needs? See, a third character that Jesus introduces to us is a, a Samaritan. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans, right, they hated each other. There's a, a lot of tension in those relationships, very much like, like Jimmy Kimmel and, and Sean Hannity, right? Like there's not much love going back and forth there, like Taylor Swift and all of her ex-boyfriends, right? Like they're not, they're, not, they're not loving each other. They're not talking to each other very much. Samaritans were considered to be a, a lower class of people by the Jews. They had intermarried with non-Jews during captivity. They had taken God's laws and they had broken them or changed them or did them differently. And so therefore Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. But in this story, right, he would, he would be the least likely of the three that would stop. And look at what Jesus said, verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, let me just stop there for a second. See, we don't know if the man that's injured, we don't know if he's, a, if he's Jewish or if he's a, a Gentile, right? And, and neither could anyone approaching him. He's been beaten, he, he's bloodied up, he's naked. There is no way to tell who he is, but it didn't matter to the Samaritan. He didn't stop to consider this man's race. He didn't stop to consider his religion. He's not worried about what kind of status this man had. The Samaritan simply saw a person in need. Look at the rest of that verse, verse 33. The despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. See, not only did he see the man, but he felt compassion for him. He cared enough to act. He cared enough to sacrifice his time and the things that he had to come alongside and to meet the need of this guy. See, true love, true compassion in our lives, it must always have action with it. Laura and I have been married for uh, almost 22 years right? How long do you think I can go by just telling her I love her, but not actually, not actually showing her anything? I help lead, a, I lead a small group of, of high school guys, and I've done that for about 20 years, and um, one of the things that I love, not the same guys, they're smarter than that, but, but, uh, but different guys, but, but I love it. One of the things that I love is in high school students is when they start to get into relationships, right? They start to date each other, and, and they've been dating for like a week, and they're like, I love you, 
They're like, no, I love you. And no, I love you more, right? And then it just goes back and forth. They're like, you hang up. No, you hang up. And then even more fun than watching that is watching their friends, right? Who are like throwing up in their mouth. They're like, they're like, I just want to karate chop them, like right in the neck. Like, just shut it, right? Like, you're going to break up in two weeks. So just like end it right now, right? And, and it's back and forth. But when you're early on in those kind of relationships, you can get by for a little while just by saying, I love you. But that doesn't last for very long. How long do you think I could get by, right, by, by allowing Laura to do everything in our house? She does all the cooking. She does all the cleaning. She does all of the laundry. She does everything. And I, I just kind of sit on the couch with a, a bag of peanut M&Ms, right, the Costco ones with the wheels and the handle that, that pulls out, right? And I'm just telling her, babe, I love you. I love you. I'm just going to stay here on the couch, but I love you, right? How long do you think it takes before she runs me over with the car? And instead of calling 911, she goes, sweetie, I love you, right? Like, like how, not long, right? It's, it's not long before we get to that place in our marriage. The same is true when it comes to care and compassion and love. It has to have action with it. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. See, he didn't wait. There's no delay. There's no procrastination here. There's, there's no, well, let me just pray about it. He acted. See, if you love someone, you have to show it with action. It's not enough just to, to say, I love you. I'm, I'm sorry that you're in this place. I love you, but not help. It's not enough to say, isn't, isn't that a shame that you're going through this? Man, I, I really do care about you. It's not enough to say that that's going to leave a mark, dude, right? Like, sorry about your luck, or I wish I could do something to fix it. It's not enough to say, I'll pray for you. Love sacrifices something. And the Samaritan did that in several different ways, right? The, the first is that he stooped down. In other words, he got down on this man's level. He didn't pretend that he was better than he was. He didn't talk down to him and say, well, was this your fault? Did you do something to deserve this, right? He went to him in his need. Second thing is that he used what he had. It says that he dressed the man's wounds with wine and oil. Why? Because that's probably all he had with him on his donkey. He used wine because it's, it's alcohol, right? It's an, it's an antiseptic. He used it to clean the wounds. Some of you are wondering, like, well, what kind of wine, right? Like, if it was, if it was cheap wine, maybe I, I'd, I'd give that up, right? But if it was my good wine, right, I only have one straw. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm sharing with this guy. He used oil because it would be soothing, to his wounds. And then it says that the good Samaritan dressed him with bandages. Where does he get the bandages from? See, I, I don't think he's a doctor. Luke's a doctor, right? The, the author of this story. If this guy's a doctor, if there was any indication of that, I think Luke would have highlighted that in this story. He would have talked about the, the procedures that he performed to, to clean up his wounds and, and to help this man. He doesn't say that. So he's probably not a doctor. He probably didn't have a first aid kit with him. The hurt man is, is laying there naked. He has no clothes. And so he used his, his own clothes. He took what he had. He sacrificed it. He, he gave it for the needs of this stranger. Proverbs 3, 27. I love how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He said, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor, maybe some other time or try me tomorrow when the money's right there in your pocket. See, he simply saw a need and he used what he had to meet it. 
Before we started teaching, I told you that you saw only part of, uh, of, of Charvel's story. Her husband had passed away. She had just moved here with two young kids. I want you to watch the next part of her story. Turn your attention to the side screens. Continued coming to Hope, and a lot of the resources and volunteers supported me through not knowing my full story, but seeing that I was going through stuff with um, one of my children. My son's name is Saison, and he has exceptional abilities, and he is in the buddy program here. So he has a one-on-one -on -one for 45 minutes while I am able to attend church services. I was in the lobby one day, and I was just so overwhelmed with being a single mother, a widow. I didn't know what to do. So I'm down on the floor, about to give it all up. And volunteers surrounded me and my children. And they said, we are in this together. What can we do? How can we help? See, those small words, how can we help, made me not feel alone anymore. To have somebody down on the ground, not caring what was going on around them, you know, working with my son over there, trying to get him together, and, and just comforting me. It's hard. I have to be thankful to God because God is working on me and him at the same time. God has given him this special ability that he has blessed the world with, and he will do great things. You don't know what's gonna happen next. And you just have to stay prayed up and thank God for the good moments and thank him for the bad because in each and every moment that he is awake, he has a surprise waiting for you around the corner. And being supported by the special needs family and those volunteers that I have to be thankful for the hard days and the easy days. Jesus turned to that lawyer after he told the story and he said, which of these three was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, it was the one that showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes, go and do the same. See, when the neighbor saw that need, he simply, he met the need. He, he took care of it. He wasn't blind like the other two. He, he saw it. When Charvel was in a place where she needed someone, right, where she needed someone right where she was, she was loved by strangers, surrounded by volunteers who got right down on the floor with her to meet her right where she was and asking that question, how can we help? How can we come alongside of you? What is it that we can do for you? They didn't walk by. They didn't say, oh, that's too bad. I'm so sorry for you. We'll, we'll be praying for you as, as we go out to, to lunch or, or dinner afterwards. They saw a need and they met it. You see, one need plus one response equals two change lives. Not just the life of the person that you help, but your life will be changed as a result of it as well. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he says, yes, you love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, but you love your neighbor as yourself, that we see the needs around us in other people's lives, and we do what Jesus said when he said, go and do the same. See, that, the application is real clear for this. We're surrounded, right, in a world full of people that are broken, a world full of people that, are, are, that have needs. We sit next to them every single day in our lives. How many times do we walk by opportunities to make a difference, to, to impact a life, to experience the greatest joy that we'll ever face on, on this side of eternity? See, of being used by God to impact the life of, of someone else. I don't think Jesus is giving us a math equation here, but I wonder that for every opportunity I take to meet a need to help somebody out, I wonder how many I missed like the priest and, and the Levite. 
So we don't wait for better conditions. We don't wait until it's more convenient. We don't put off what we know we should do today. We have to make this decision today. Will I choose today to allow God to use me this week to impact the life of someone else? Let me ask you two questions that you can put into practice this week. Here's the first one. Who is your neighbor? Who has God placed in your life that maybe we've become blind to, right? That they're around us, they're in our lives, but, but maybe we've just stopped seeing the need. Maybe because we've become too callous, maybe because it's always there in front of our faces and, and we just don't know how to handle it anymore. Maybe because we've never actually taken the time to, to go deep enough in those relationships to really try and find out what it is. Is it someone that you work with? Someone that you go to school with? Could it be the person who gets on your nerves the most? Would it be the person in your life that regularly messes up, makes bad decisions, is constantly coming to you for help? How about the person that we try to avoid right, on a regular basis? The answer is yes. See, the lawyer in this case, he assumed that, that the neighbor had to earn their status to be loved or to be cared for. But Jesus makes it very clear that we all have a responsibility to love everyone around us. It's what the Good Samaritan did. So the first question is, who is your neighbor? Here's the second one, is what, is what is the need? See, if you know what the need is, then you need to go and meet it. It's that simple, right? This parable, this story, it's all about love in action. That's the most important thing that we can do. The beginning of our mission statement as a church is to love people where they are. Several years ago, I remember reading an article about a teenager in South Carolina and uh, Super Bowl was coming up, and he, they were throwing a big Super Bowl party at his church, and it was going to cost a few bucks to go to it, and, and he was struck by the need of the homeless people in their community. And he was overwhelmed by, I'm going to go spend this money to go to a Super Bowl party, and I don't know that those people on the outside of the steps of the church even have enough for a bowl of soup. And so he started talking to people about his idea. He challenged the church and said, what if we, instead of throwing this party, what if we gave the money that we were going to give to that? What if we gave it to actually helping these people around us? And then it spread from their student ministry to other student ministries, and it's continued to grow. That very first time that they did it, that very first Super Bowl party that they did for the, the people in their community, they raised $5,700. That was in 1990. It has happened every single Super Bowl since. And this past year, as a result, they have now raised over $100 million that has gone to soup kitchens and food banks and charities all across the country because one teenager had an idea. What if I sacrifice this little bit that I have to meet the need of someone around? See, what we have no idea is how God can use our simple idea, our simple action to impact the lives of countless people all around us. And if you don't know what the need is around you, then, then go find one. And here would be my advice, is that you put yourself in a place where people actually come to you. On your way in today, you got a card, and on the back of that card, here's what we would challenge you to do this week. On the back of that card is a website, and when you go to that website, you're going to realize there are over 70 different ministries right here at Hope alone, in which you could put yourself in a place where you are surrounded by all kinds of people that have needs. And on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, you could be exposed to people that you could come alongside and that you could make those sacrifices, that you could use what God has given you to impact their lives and experience the joy of what God created us to do together. One need plus one response equals two changed lives. I want you to watch the, the last part of, of Charvel's story. 
June or July 2017. I had lost my job after four years. Um, they could no longer work with my schedule, trying to work with my son's schedule. One of the volunteers had said, oh, you know, you can come to the food bank. I got to that point where I needed some additional food to cover making ends meet. And about August of that same summer, they said, you know, come on and serve with us. And I felt as though I could be used there. So I came and didn't stop coming every Monday morning. They gave me an extended resource, an extended comfort, an extended community, knowing that there was other support there. I received an email for a job that I had been waiting for. It was everything that I needed in a position. I had the flexibility, the chance to be, you know, attend my kids' school activities, drop them off, pick them up. So it was, it was perfect, it was perfect. Not having it all together, I think, gives you a greater advantage because you're able to meet somebody else where they're at. You can overcome in your story and your journey with them together. After last service, I, I had a lady, a senior lady, um, come up to me and, and said, hey, great, great message. I'm gonna go now look for a naked man. And uh, I'm not sure that was the point, right? That, that wasn't what we were trying to get across. But, but what if, right, what if, what if we believe that there's no greater experience in life than to be used by God to impact the life of someone else? And what if we began to live that way? Imagine what a church this size could do in our community and the lives of people around us if we if we took this to heart and we began to make that our priority. Next week, we're gonna talk about how God has actually gifted you to do this, and he has given you some very specific things. The problem is, is that most of us don't even know how God has gifted us to make that difference and to make that impact, and so we'd encourage you to come back next week to hear that. Will you bow with me and pray? Father, thank you so much, God, for your incredible gift of grace and mercy, that God, when we had a need, you met it through your son, Jesus. And you didn't just make up some story and, and say at the end of it, hey, go do the same as this guy in a made-up story. Jesus, we know, we know that through the sacrifice that you made for us, through your life and, and through your death, through your resurrection, that God, you provided everything that we needed to be in a relationship with God, to be forgiven of our sins, to be set free from sin and death, to, to be adopted into your family and to be set on a path with your spirit to be able to follow you. God, this isn't something that you just told us to do. Jesus, you did it for us, and we're so, so grateful for that. I know there are people sitting in here today that we put on a, a brave face, and we smiled all the way through, and everyone that said, hey, how you doing? Well, we said, hey, I'm fine. But on the inside, our lives are falling apart. God, we all have needs, but we also know that all around us are people that have needs. What if we became your church in a way that we went beyond ourselves, we became more selfless and began to meet the needs of other people, allowing those people to come and to meet our needs as well. God, how attractive a church that would be in this world. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. And it's in your name we pray, amen.